0: Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, I was going to tell you a random story. We went to the VLG, the Vineyard Leaders gathering a few weeks ago and Ellie Mumford was speaking and she just told a story like as she came up that was had absolutely nothing to do with what she ended up speaking about and it was so refreshing, you know? You when If you preach or speak, you're constantly trying to think of analogies or stories to tell that, you know, are woven perfectly into what you're about to say and it was just so freeing as a sort of storytelling person to just tell a story for the sake of it and then move on in a different direction. <laughs> Um, So I was like, what can I tell you today? (laughs) That has nothing to do with what I'm saying, but I feel it might be a waste of time, so we're going (laughs) to carry on. Um, I have a really interesting friend who is very efficient. Um, I I wouldn't say I'm efficient, but you know you get those people who just, they spend their lives making things very precise. Um, And she did this sort of purpose design course uh, at an American university years ago, and one of the people who was teaching the course had this sort of throwaway line that my friend then ended up saying to me a few years ago. And she was just saying, One of the things we should have at hand is a five word statement about who we are, the purpose of our lives, what we call to. And she said, Just go right now. If you were to give me five words of what you call to me, Julia, what would they be? And out of my mouth just came proclaim liberty to the captives. And I thought, oh, I didn't expect that. (laughs) And I just said again, oh, proclaim liberty to the captives. And if you know anything about this church, we are Vineyard 61, and that little line is tucked into Isaiah 61. It's the thing that Jesus chooses to read, really, where he announces uh, his messianess to the Jewish world at the time when he stands up in the synagogue and he reads from the scriptures. He reads Isaiah 61 and he talks about a few things, but one of them is to proclaim liberty to the captives. I was a captive for a very long time and I discovered Jesus, the power of his presence and the love of the Father. He got such a hold on my life At 9, and then again at 12, and then again at 19, and then again at 21, and then again at 25, and now again at nearly 28, and it hasn't stopped. And he shook me free from every bit of bondage that has attempted to hold me back and keep me under the cloak, the shadow of shame, and those shackles of anxiety that plague so many of us. And it is my joy and my delight to now be free to actually tell people that there is a way out. That there is a way out of not only those things, but whatever it is that is keeping you in bondage, keeping you sitting in darkness. There is one who is able to free you, to release you, to declare liberty over your captivity. I wanted to talk to you about three things. The first, these are the things I'd want to leave behind in this room, if you think of me ever again. Um, (laughs) You will see me. I mean, I'm going to be here, but you might not hear my voice for a while. Um, One, Christ must be everything. Number two, we need to become a people of his presence. And number three, are you tending the garden of your heart? You've probably heard me bang on about all three of these things over the years, but I'm going to just go again. Christ must be everything. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him in his lordship? And do you love him? Does Jesus hold your heart? Has he actually captured your attention? Does he fill your gaze? Is he on the throne of your life? I realize today there might be people in this room who would not consider themselves to be a follower of Jesus. If that is you, there's so much freedom. I would encourage you to explore the claims of Christ, to ask the hard questions, to dig deeper until you have discovered for yourself. I want to speak to those of us today who say, Jesus is my Lord, who follow him as king. In Colossians 2, Paul's writing to the church, and he says, As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Listen to this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition or according to the elemental spirits of the universe, verse, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ." There are so many messages being thrown at us all the time. Take five minutes, walk down the street, look at the posters, look at the banners, listen to a podcast and all the millions of adverts that come on, turn your TV on, listen to a song. There are messages coming at us all the time that put us at the center of our worlds, Friends, do not fall captive to things that sound good but really leave you emptier than you were before. The world is going to tell you that you need more money. You need more sex. You need a relationship. You need this. You need that. It has to look a certain way. If you just get this job, if you just take this pill, if you just read this thing, any i mean it's just it's everywhere and all those things have their place in our lives when they're in their proper place they are good but when they are the thing that we are dependent on to live just have any sense of success to have any sense of identity we're just falling prey to something empty it will never satisfy they will never satisfy Jesus alone truly, truly meets the deepest longings of our souls. Do you know him, Jesus? He is the way to the Father. If we need to know the Father, we need to know Jesus. And Jesus teaches us that he sends his Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth to lead us to truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. The Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus, and Jesus points us to the Father. It's beautiful. Everything we need to know in God is right there, and we have full access here and now today to behold him. He is both the lion and the lamb. He is both perfectly just and absolutely merciful. He is everything that we need. When we taste of him, we are absolutely satisfied and we hunger for more. He keeps us hungry and he keeps us fed. This is Jesus. Is he on the throne of your life? Christ must be everything. Is that something you are willing to pray? I realized a few years ago that I'd become very comfortable with my version of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? I'd become comfortable with the sort of safe, comforting version of Jesus that I had in my head. And then I entered a season of grief and I didn't know what to do. And I remember the one day he said to me, Julia, I want you to see me and know me as I want to be seen and known, not as you want to see and know me. And the Lord began to invite me into a season of understanding him as the man of sorrows, the one who suffered, the friend of grief. I had never allowed myself really to look at the side of Jesus that suffered. I couldn't go there. But then I was in so much pain. And I was suffering so deeply that suddenly the version of Jesus that I was so comfortable with wasn't really meeting this deep place of pain. And he said to me, If you will trust me and come to me without an agenda, without a preconceived framework of who I am, I will meet you because I know grief. Have you ever considered him as the man of sorrows, the one who suffered? Do you know him in your grief? He is everything, and he fills all in all. And he is enough in every season, every season of the soul. He's already been there, and so he can meet us where no one else really can ever go. Number two. To be a people of his presence. We have been speaking about this for as long as we've been in this role. This is our desire for this community. It's a desire for my own life. But yes, it is such a deep desire that this community part of v 61 would truly be a people of the presence of the living God. You've heard us speak often about the reality of the Exodus when God came down as a cloud in the day to lead the people of Israel through the wilderness. And then at night, he would burn like a fire. And Moses would be the only one who could actually interact with God because everyone was so overwhelmed and actually just terrified of the presence of God on the earth. And so Moses would ascend the mountain, hear from God, come back and be this sort of prophet, this mouthpiece to the people. But in Jesus, all of that comes down in human bodily form and then through the power of his spirit actually comes to dwell in us. We are the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that was once a physical tent in the desert where God would physically come. We, the body of Christ, individuals who are born again and walking in the presence of God, carry the manifest glory, the weight, the Shekinah of God every day. You get to know Him in a way that they never could. Hebrews 12 says, we have not come to a mountain, but we have come to the city of the living God. It talks about the innumerable angels and festal gathering. It talks about Jesus, the anointed king. We have come directly to him, the one who they longed for. For years, thousands of years, this promised prophet, this Messiah who was coming to redeem all creation. Friends, we come to Him. There is no obstacle. There is no barrier. Everything that once stood in the way has been removed that you might know Him in His fullness and hold and host the presence of the living God. That changes everything, because everything that he worked out on the earth, read the Gospels, you see it for yourself, is we are now able to walk out and live out and see happen. We can't look like the world if he is in us. Something sets us apart. There's a distinction. Are we a people of his presence? Are we hungering and thirsting? For God, in all of his glory, to rest on us. We are his dwelling place now. Julian Adams, he's a prophetic voice, South African, now lives in America, amazing minister. Um, And he talks about how we don't need visitations. We need a habitation of God. We've got to move away from these short moments of visitation every now and then to being this place of habitation where God comes to permanently rest on our lives. This is possible. It's not reserved for a Sunday morning. It's not reserved for a student youth camp. I don't know if you guys used to do that. It was a festival and you go and you have this high moment and you encounter the Lord and then you leave and your life feels like it's falling apart. And did, was it real? And will you ever meet with him again? And you know those moments? Like that is not the, that's not the way. There is an everyday, every moment reality that we're invited into as followers of Jesus, where he truly rests on our lives. And again, I would say that this really comes from hunger. Are you hungering for him? Because he comes where he's wanted. If you want this, if you want to know what it means to be a dwelling place, to host the presence of God in your everyday, hunger for him, long for him, seek him out, those who seek him, find him. He wants to be found. He wants to be found. Christ must be everything. Let us be a people of his presence, distinct, set apart, marked as a dwelling place for the Most High. And lastly, please, tend the gardens of your hearts. Some of you might have heard me speak on inner healing before um it's my deep love. And, um, but I also realise that I've spoken in other contexts, Sockham and things like that, and, and not necessarily on a Sunday. And I just wanted to touch really on the call and the invitation to wholeness that we have. Um, <clears throat> there's a beautiful proverb, I think it's in Proverbs 5, and it talks about how Everything flows from the heart. The heart is the spring of life. Everything that flows, flows from the heart. What is the heart? It's, yes, it's the beating thing that keeps going. But it really is Dallas Willard talks about the center of our beings, our will, it's our essence. It's, it's the sort of innermost being of who we are. And everything that, comes off of our lives really comes from that place. Whether we like it or not, we live from the inside out. What is going on? Oh, gosh, that's an absolutely huge spider on my leg. Thank you. Bless my husband. If you're online. There was a very large spider on my leg. I'm shocked I did not actually freak out. Um, thank you. <laughs> We've made it through that. Um, tend the garden of your heart. Your heart is the center of your being. It's the essence of who you are. When we talk about the inner world, we are talking about this deep place within us that needs to be tended to. It needs to be cultivated. It needs to be taken care of. We know a tree by its fruit. The Gospels tell us. Jesus, in a in quite strong, striking passage, I think it's in Matthew 24:25, he rebukes the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he's basically calling out their hypocrisy. And he's saying, "You're so obsessed with how things look on the outside, but you t- you pay no attention to what's actually going on in the inside." And he talks about cleaning the inside of a cup, and the outside will be clean. What is the state of your inner life, friend? How healthy are you right now? What do your relationships look like? What's your relationship like with your work? How anxious are you? What's your family life like? How are your children? How's your marriage? See, we have to be willing to ask ourselves these questions because they lead us to what's really going on beneath the surface. Jesus is emphatic about the pace of our lives, the states of our hearts, the things we set our minds on, our relationships, the way we spend our money. Just read. Just read this holy book, and you will see that he is looking for a wholehearted people. He's actually bent on it. He wants us healthy and whole. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. That's John Wimber. Are you tending the garden of your heart? Have you paid it much attention recently? Are there lies that are keeping you captive that actually need to be faced? Are there patterns of sin that are holding you back from the freedom that God has destined you for? Are there family systems, systems of pain and brokenness and silence, dysfunction from generations gone by that you've never really looked at, but you sort of know are there and are beginning to work themselves out in your own life? I am... I realise this is a very unique story and many people don't have the utter privilege of coming from the family that I have come from and I take that very seriously and I realise this won't be many of your stories but I come from I come from a magnificent family and I had parents who I have parents. Moves me oh (laughs) who had the utter wisdom. And courage to recognize that our family was spinning out into dysfunction when I was a very young child. When I was about eight or nine, I started basically. I fell into severe anxiety, which probably led to a form of depression as an eight-year-old. It's quite unusual, and um, I was very, very unhappy. I was just everything was terrible. I was obsessed with death. I was just not fine. Um. And my brothers, probably in their own way, were also just, there was something off. And I think so many of us could look at that and just put it down to the child or or blame, you know, what's going on in the child. But something particularly in my mother said, look again, look at your life, look at my dad's life. Um, And they had the wisdom rather than to, I don't know, just treat us symptomatically to actually go like our family isn't well. Our family is not healthy. There is something dysfunctional going on. God, you've got to help us. And through that process, they began to deal with their stuff. They started to heal in their marriage individually before the Lord. And this miraculous thing started to happen in our family. I met Jesus deeply, radically as a nine-year-old. My brothers as well. And God began to knit us together into this whole unit. And it was painful at times, and we had to break away from patterns of dysfunction. And we had to recognize things that had been operating that were really not so nice to look at and walk away. But slowly and surely, God did a miraculous work in my family and freed us as children and them as parents in the most unbelievable way. My parents started saying really quick sorries to us. I just remember noticing that. They just started taking ownership in a way that I, I mean, I was young, but I remember my dad just he would react to something and he would turn around and, and say, Actually, I'm so sorry. I got that wrong. Do you know what that does for a child? It's beautiful. Years later, about ten years later, they came again. They guys, guys, we got something really wrong when you were teenagers. We want to say sorry. They're still doing it today. And last year I had the privilege of going home for Christmas and um we were sitting around the table and um, my one brother has been on a journey and he had sort of walked away for a while from the Lord and he has been drawn back in the most unbelievable way. And Sorry, I'm so emotional. Just roll with it. I am having a baby. <laughs> um, but we were having this meal and suddenly my brother just stops the conversation and he looks at my parents and he just says, I need to honor you. And then he looks at me and he looks at my brother and he says, and I just need to honor you. And he starts like pouring dignity and honor. My 22-year-old brother just thanking my family for the choices we have made for the culture that we have fought for in our home, just honoring the place of God in our lives, thanking my parents for their courage to go down the healthy conflict way, to face the mountain and not run, thanking them from what they chose to break away from and begin to sow and choose a different way. And suddenly the whole table is just sobbing. And the presence of God begins to rest at my family table on a little sugarcane farm on the east coast of South Africa. And I feel the Lord say, look, this is the fruit. Eat of the fruit, feast on the fruit, because this was paid for. This was costly. This cost your family something. But look at it now. And I just felt to tell you this story because I feel it's an invitation for all of us. It might not look like this within your family space. It might be an individual journey. But friends, you see there is a harvest on the other side of the cost. There is a beautiful, ripe, full, like orange grove on the other side of sowing the seeds and cultivating and pruning and watering that sometimes takes years For us, it was probably a process of 15 years between when they woke up to it and when we actually had that dinner. That's a long time. And for many years, it looked like nothing was changing. But we're tasting of the fruit of it as a family almost daily at the moment. So whatever it looks like for you right now, I feel the Holy Spirit might be touching on things in your life, maybe things you've been ignoring. Places of pain you haven't wanted to look at. Roots that just niggle you and, and are producing weeds, producing things in your life that you know don't, you don't want to be there, but you haven't really known how to go about uprooting them. Can I tell you that we know a gardener who is so loving? And it's with loving hands that he comes to prune It's not out of aggression. It's not out of wanting us to suffer. It is out of absolute love that he comes and gently prunes the trees of our lives that we might bear more. It feels like loss and death half the time. But in the kingdom of God, things die to live. Things are cut that actually need to grow and bloom. It's the upside down, miraculous, beautiful kingdom of God. The things that cost the most often bring the sweetest reward. So, if this is something that you sensing Him press in on today, can I ask you to have the courage to pursue it, to yield to His invitation? If you actually, if you need to get some inner healing. There are amazing ministries. We have SOZO team here at V61 who can pray you through some of the stuff. If you need to see professional counsel, psychological help, please do. I've been seeing a psychologist for 17 years. Fabulous. Whatever it is, there are ways and means. If you need to see your GP, if you need to see a doctor, please don't not do it. But whatever it is, whatever he is inviting you into, Would you have the conversation with the gardener who is kind, who wants to set you free, who wants to establish you, your future, your future family on the absolute beautiful foundation of truth and wholeness? He's looking for a whole, healthy bride. Yeah. Those are the three things I wanted to say.